Florida Basketball Podcast is brought to you by the Gatorverse, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting University of Florida fans and student-athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real-life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, rewards, and athletes receive a majority of revenue from sales of their collectibles. That's the way that NIL is supposed to work. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member and Locker Mania, visit Gatorverse.io. That's G-A-T-A-V-E-R-S-E dot I-O. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, Eric Fawcett and I are going to break down the Tuesday night adventure against LSU. Obviously, the Gators looked like world beaters for 30 minutes and then uh, kind of did what they've done a lot this season, uh, unfortunately, and let LSU uh, back in the game and, you know, almost uh, ended up in overtime. So um, we're, we're losing had Jordan Wright made a jump shot or elected to take a jump shot after faking a Florida defender out of his shoes on a crossover, which was really sick. And I, I don't know why he didn't shoot the three to win since he was so open, but he didn't. Um, and then he was so open on a putback. And I think he was stunned at how open he was and missed a layup. So Florida uh, fortunate to survive, but we're going to talk about how they built the big lead in the first place, kind of focus on some of the positives as well, break down that game. And then we'll talk about a huge game. Uh, in Athens this weekend against Georgia, who um, the Dodds have lost five in a row, uh, not lost on anybody in the Gator Twitterverse, I'll tell you that much. Uh, the five-game Mike White losing streak is like catnip to the Gator masses. Uh, but Georgia is way better than they were last year, too. So even though they've struggled, they're going to be coming off a bye, and they're a way better team. We'll get into that rematch. Obviously, the first game went to Florida in overtime, um, though the Gators – really struggled uh, to put them away in that game too. So want to make sure that, um, you know, we at least talk about how Florida built the big lead so that uh, lest we be accused of wet blanketing this six games out of seven, where there's one loss by one point, Eric Fawcett. Um, <laughs> let's, let's maybe mention that, you know, uh, Florida looked really good for half an hour. Yeah, I, I think that uh, there was just times where, where the again, the guards were just overwhelming. Like when you look at just kind of even the, the play type data with what Florida was doing um, offensively and like where their points came from, it was so much isolation from Zion Pullen and Walter Clayton, um, pick and roll, ball handler possessions from those two where, you know, it kind of turned into these guys just getting to wherever they wanted scoring uh, or transition, um, which was a little bit more semi-transition, such as when Walter Clayton, you know, punched it with that hesitation dribble. So like, um, again, trying to both say the positives and while maybe being somewhat of a wet blanket, it's uh, on one hand, it's like, yeah, these guards are just tremendous. And it's, it's one of those things that you don't need to run a lot of stuff for these guys to, to get loose. And Walter Clayton and Zion Pollard are just as good as any backcourt in the country offensively when it comes to um, scoring in isolation, particularly and getting to pull up jumpers. Uh, but it wasn't like Florida necessarily had some solution to LSU's defense. Not that LSU's defense is even that good. Um, they're, they're really not, but it wasn't like, oh, like Florida's meticulously picking apart this, this, this defense. 
um, it was like, oh, these are two guys that are that are getting loose and getting whatever they wanted. So to some extent, it was like, okay, is the game going to go um, this way the whole time? Are these two guys going to just continue to get whatever they want and, and score however they like and keep hitting pull up jumpers um or will 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 things slow down and uh yeah so it's 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 uh to see lsu of course make a defensive change um but also there's just there's just only so much like two guys just isoing getting pick and roll switches and going to work that that's uh um like there's really just so much you can do of that in a game and and it looked like for florida it was about half of that and and again that's kind of where i fall at a, a little bit of the uh on, on a little bit of the like you know, wet blanket, but also like positive. It's like a positive. If these guys play like this, like you, you can see that like, even they can play really badly and these guards can, can lead the way and, and, and win a game. Um, yeah. But then you also see even um, golden in the press conference was like in the post game was like, yeah, our, our half court offense is not where it should be. And, and I kind of have even felt that way, even while Florida's put up some efficient scoring nights, because it's, it's like, okay, these guys are, uh, these two guards are getting whatever they want. And then there's a bunch of seven footers offensive rebounding and getting putbacks. And it's like, that is um, like the results are there. Like you look at Florida's adjusted offensive efficiency on Ken Palm. It is good, but every number behind, you know, behind, like I keep saying, like peek under the hood, you look behind the curtain, whatever metaphor you want to use Florida's offense really is not very good. Um, so, uh, but Hey, does you know, <laughs> results do matter. And uh, Florida has, you know, Win in six out of seven games, they are putting up um, solid point totals, and uh, uh, it is it is still like masterful when when the starting backcourt is 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 in the zone that they have been in, like or really like yeah, are are, are semi regularly in when those guys are going. It's it's uh, it's it's pretty remarkable, and that's when you saw this big lead for the Gators. Yeah, I mean, forty one points from Poland, Clayton, and Kugel, um, nine assists, only four turnovers. Uh, I mean, you'll take that all the time. And Riley didn't even have a great game. He missed three free throws, didn't make a three-pointer. Um, so really just kind of the Pullen and Clayton show um, in this one. And and I mean, I think to your point, like it's not – I get technically it's not – like it doesn't go in the like analytic data as isolation basketball. But a lot of it is just like one ball screen and like Clayton and Pullen getting into the paint and – either making the proper read or making a play and like it's one read basketball once they're in the paint um like florida doesn't run much in the way of of off ball stuff like there's not a lot of dummy actions there's nothing that necessarily confuses defenses i think or that stresses help defenders um and and then you know um the, these guards are just executing they're magnificent i mean i think we are, we're now at three coaches out of four who have said Florida has the best guards in the SEC, and the only one that didn't was Buzz Williams because he thinks he does. I, and I mean, like, I don't know if people realize this, but this is coach speak for like Florida doesn't run good offense. Like, I, like, and I know that a lot of people keep like, totally. and even like Florida, Florida's accounts uh, are, are like have, or you know, some some positive people have been like, wow, look at this complimentary. Like, this is like, uh, I was going to use a word I shouldn't use on the podcast, but this is like when you give a backhanded compliment to someone. Um, I think that the, that is a backhanded compliment from, and I will say that from knowing several coaches in the league, that is a backhanded compliment where oh, I think so there, there's coaches saying, um, Hey, we, uh, uh, we think we we run better stuff than these. We think we're guarding them really well. And then they have two players that are better than anyone we have on the roster. So it's just one of those things where it's like, 
um, if you're like coming at it from a Florida perspective, if you're mm-hmm. listening to this as a Florida fan, there's part of you could be like, yeah, I don't really care. Like if we got the best players and they're getting it done. Um, that's awesome. And it's also, it happens to be extremely fun to watch. Like how many, how many games has Florida lost over the last five or six years when you just look over and it's just like, oh man, Auburn's guards are way better than Florida. That's maybe not a good example because Florida's you know, beaten Auburn a bunch the last couple of years. But how many times is like you've seen the Gators drop games where it's like, oh, you thought Florida played really well, but the other team just had like electric guards that could get 25 and Florida just like didn't because they had like more like Andrew Nemhard, Kyle, Lott. like you had a little bit of it with Trey Mann, but like even then I, I don't, there wasn't a lot of games where you're like, man, Florida didn't play well, but like, they had an explosive guard just like win the game for them. And Florida's lost a lot of those games the last five years. Like that's like now we're on the other side of it. And I think a lot of people are like, Hey, this is kind of sick. Like it's kind of fun to watch like Walter Clayton dunk on people and then hit a step back three on the next possession or, or Zion Poland just playing at half speed, gliding into the paint, bumping a guy off. So um, yeah, it's, 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 I've just, I, I'd be interested to see, because again, it is something I always say about the way that this, this program is perceived both nationally and, and by casual fans. Um, that like style of play matters. And uh, again, I think people are just loving it right now. You're like really, really. So um, which just makes it so, so fascinating um, in a game like this. Yeah, no, it really does. Um, we, we have to talk about the zones. I got like multiple listener questions about the zones so that people know, like, you know, we're answering your listener questions. I'm not trying to ignore the, various different questions we got about zone. I just thought I'd loop them all together. And like, I'm interested in Eric's take on it because let me offer kind of what I'm seeing. Um, And then Eric can, you know, tell me, Hey man, keep coaching. You ate basketball. uh, Cause, cause you're out of your element in high school, obviously, or, or you can say, Hey, I agree with that. Um, Look, so I don't have a problem with screening a zone, which is what Florida like tried to do a little bit. Um, but Florida would like set a really like not particularly effective, super high ball screen against like a zone defensive player at the top of the zone. And like, that is not the way to screen a zone defense. Um, and I'm sure Kevin Hope Day and Todd Golden know that. And um, it's just not really typically what you do. Uh, you usually want to set like a much lower zone closer to the basket, like screen behind the zone to free a shooter. Um, And then if you can shoot over the zone, it kind of softens things a little bit. And you'll do that by setting screens behind the zone by the basket, or you'll screen like the ball side. So like, those are your classic, like ball side wings, ball side screens where like Zion Pullen or Walter Clayton kind of dribble to the wing. And then you have a player like Will Richard, maybe or Tyree Samuel kind of, um, well, normally you'd want like a Will Richard or Clayton sinking to the corner and Tyree Samuel, again, screening somebody like close to the basket. Like, so Florida wasn't really doing any of that. Um, and then the other thing that they stopped doing, and this is something that I I tweeted out, and I think Kevin Sweeney was like, I think this is like a faucet tweet, uh, which was a proud moment for me. Like, so the other thing Florida's not really doing is attacking hedges very well all of a sudden, which is bizarre because while Eric was in Spain, they seemed fine at it, like because they were dragging the hedges um, and some of this is just like who defenders and opponents are hedging. Like I thought Matt McMahon was smart. Cause he was like, I'm not going to hedge Zion Pullen, but I am going to hedge Walter Clayton. And so Clayton's reaction to it is like, I'm going to back away from the hedge, which is fine. But Clayton ends up with the ball at like the logo 
and five or six seconds have run off the shot clock. So like Florida's got two problems attacking various junk defenses that they're seeing. Um, and I'll let you address zone first, but those are just two things I noticed in terms of half court execution. And they've really been a problem since Buzz Williams also did that with hedges. He was like, I'm going to hedge Walt. I'm not going to hedge Zion because he'll drive the hedge and attack it, which Todd Golden, I think coaches well. Right. But um, Florida has got to, if they're going to screen these zone defenses that they're seeing, they've got to do a better job of doing that in my view, Eric. Yeah, the, the zone numbers are, are, are not good, um, and they are also, like, worse than – like, if you look at their season-long totals, um, you know, they got to play Merrimack, who's who plays an awesome zone, but that's a low-major opponent. Um, but so Florida was able to um, put up some good numbers there. If you take that yeah. out, Florida's zone numbers are, are, are quite poor. Um, and, and, again, I do just have to wonder, like, going back to San Francisco, like, Todd Golden has never played zone, and I just wonder if any, any coach who never plays zone himself – I just wonder how comfortable they are with zone principles. And if you're not comfortable enough to coach a zone, it's actually pretty difficult to coach against a zone. Um, so that's just something I personally um, find with, with coaches that I, that I work with is like, if, if they don't know how to coach a zone defensively, they're going to have a hell of a time trying to coach against it. Um, and again, I, I try to stay out of any, like um, th this is how you beat a zone um, because every zone is, is different. And, and I, and I kind of find a lot of people, like a lot of people on Twitter was like, Oh, you put, you four guys on the perimeter and you flash it into the high post and you throw it into the high post and then you go score. Like, you know, it's just like, as if like, that's <laughs> right. what it is. It's like, like every zone is different. And it's like, what, like, I don't see people saying that against man defense. And if you can't just say like one principle to beat man defense, why do you think you, there's one principle that can beat zones? I'll also point out that, yeah, the, the LSU zone was like really junky and um, they matched out of it, matched up out of it with some, some pretty interesting rotations. Um, so it wasn't like your most like it wasn't just like they were out there like a two three zone pylon um, that you can maybe like run your base stuff. So I do think Florida was surprised a little bit. LSU doesn't play a lot of it. Um, so like against an, a zone like that that had a lot of matchup to it and matching up from from weird principles. Like I would have liked to see Florida overload it a little bit. And again, a lot of coaches again that are like man to man coaches. Um, they just think like space, space, space. Like that's just like where their their mind goes to offense, which is understandable in a lot of ways. But that's why a lot of teams um, in college basketball, like that's why zone usage is going up in college basketball. Zone efficiency is going up. There's a lot of teams having great success with it. And a lot of them are doing these matchups because um, they can prey on these coaches that just think space, space, space. And then they've got uh, their, their kind of rotations uh, set up to take that away. And I think that when you see one of those, a, a zone like that, um, you've got to, you've got to like overload it, make for some difficult situations where guys are splitting too. I just, I, I just thought it became too easy for, um, for the matchups, um, the switches to, uh, to work. And it just felt like no Gator was, was getting free, um, flashing, flashing big men to the high post. It's not something, it's something that everyone does against zones, nearly everyone. I'm not particularly a fan of it. Why would, you know, are you running a pick and roll with, with Alex Condon? Probably not. Are you giving the ball to Tyree Samuel in transition to go try to find shooters? Probably not. So why you put these guys into playmaking positions against his own, I'll never understand other than it was done in 1984 and still coaches <laughs> to this day think, oh, you put your big man in the, in the middle of the zone, you throw him the ball, and then he's supposed to operate out of it. Not a, not a mindset I, I ascribe to. It not, it's not the worst thing in the world, don't get me wrong, but it's just like, a lot sure. of the principle, just another principle that was clearly not working for the Gators and hasn't worked against zones. So, um, 
Yeah, I just I it's it's going to be truly fascinating because again, a lot of teams in the SEC like don't play zone. It's 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 some of the least zone played. Um, it's one of the leagues with the least zone in the country. So like, are you going to see teams like LSU who don't play it a lot try to mix it in because it's like okay, like we can't ignore that Florida's numbers are really bad against this. Um, but it also is going to like you know take take teams out of what they like to do. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how much zone um, Florida faces. Um, if they get to the NCAA tournament, which they currently are in a position to do so, you know, will they match up with a team that plays zone um, or a team with uh, in a situation like a Florida is a higher seed, um, maybe Florida gets up to a six or seven. Um, they've got that kind of seed advantage. Um, get playing a team that on paper has less talent. Do they say like, okay, like let's put in a little bit more zone. Like those are the things that are um, very, very interesting to me. Um, it's, it, it, especially in a game where like, yeah, the, the Gators, you know, really did almost blow a 20 point lead and a guy had a wide open float, which again was kind of magical to me, the ultimate floater hater. Um, and again, this was no normal floater. I, I know. Um, but, uh, to see, uh, to see a, a, a wide open floater, um, miss to secure the game for, for the yeah. Gators was, was, uh, was somewhat magical, but, uh, yeah, the, the zone stuff is a, is a concern for me the, the, the numbers are not good. The eye test is, is, is not good. And, just something that takes the window to your sales so quickly as a team when you have all these empty possessions playing a playing a junky zone and you could tell that that a lot of the uh, confidence the Gators had just kind of quickly went out the window with every like semi-contested clank jumper at, at the end of a shot clock well yeah and I mean I, again I mean I, I'll reiterate I think if Florida's gonna screen it like screen behind it use your bigs instead of like flash your big to the post or get your big to the elbow so he can distribute like they need to screen lower, not these super high ball screens, which really just amount in a bunch of additional dribbling. And I feel like the main reason people are doing this to Florida is to slow them down. I mean, and I, I don't just feel like that. I mean, Buzz Williams said that at his press conference, like, well, you know, when you give up 40 plus points to them in the first half, they're controlling the tempo and you have to do something to make the game slower because we cannot play that fast. I mean, that's what Buzz said. So like, you know, to me, like if you're just setting a high ball screen <laughs> against, you know, the zoner at the top of the, the key, like that's not going to do anything, Eric. Yeah, I was going to look to to pull up um, the, the numbers versus zone just to kind of tell people what I was looking at. It's going to say I, I don't have the numbers like since like non non buy games. Um, but against um, against man, the Gators are at 0.92 points per possession. And against zone, there's 0.88, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's like pretty significant. Um, so they would be in like the 64th percentile nationally um, in uh, in man offense. They are 29 in the 29th percentile offensively against zone. And remember that that they're they're 20. They're in the 29th percentile. And, and that's still a little bit, I'll say, propped up. Like, again, they do deserve credit for like having some good offensive showing or a decent offensive showing it's Merrimack who's plays a really good zone, but um, still just generally speaking, yeah, those, those numbers are just um, not very good, which again, it's, it's like, you kind of can survive with that a little bit in, in the SEC yep. where, well, yep. tr traditionally you can survive a little bit with that um, in the SEC where not a lot of teams play zone, but like, Hey, if, would, would like at this point in the season, Mike, like Mike White is playing more zone at Georgia than he did at Florida. It's still not a ton, but it's more um, is that something the Gators see um, Georgia wouldn't to jump jumping, not to totally jump ahead to our Georgia preview, but Georgia's got the, the bye week. They have a full week to prepare. They just mm -hmm. saw the Gators almost blow a 20 point lead. Um, 
or blow a 20 point lead, however, however you want to say it, the, the lead did evaporate. They obviously won. So if you want to say they blew the leads, you can certainly say that if you want to say they avoided it, you can say that as well. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to spend, but, uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of what the, uh, what the Gators are, are, are dealing with. And yeah, if you're an opposing team and you see just Walter Clayton and Zion Pullen getting one ball string screen, um, against your man defense and going to work and kind of semi-isolation, getting a slight advantage or, or getting a switch. And you're just like, Hey, if we do have a zone and we can just take that out, I think we like our, um, like our chances. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it, it has to be something to watch again. We know that the offense against man has not left, or the, the offense against man has not been great. Um, the offense against zone has has been even worse. Hasn't had the chance to be exposed um, until really the the LSU game. So um, it might be it might be an article thing. I might have to look ahead to see see how much zone everyone of Florida's opponents moving forward has played. But like, hey, if you match Florida up with the team that plays zone in the NCAA tournament, it's going to make for a very interesting talking point. It really will. I mean, look, Miss. Uh, so I had a tweet the other day about Florida's huge leads. Um, and then kind of built on it because here was another huge lead. And, um, you know, as I, as I look to find that, I'm sorry, I didn't have it pulled up people. Um, you know, you can look, think back to some of them though. Miss state plays a little bit of three, two adds a little bit of a zone to, to what they were doing. Um, ECU, uh, a little bit of a matchup zone, a little bit of, um, a switch five man. I mean, a little bit of zone eight possessions. Um, so not a ton, but eight possessions is eight possessions. Um, LSU with the one, three, one, uh, Auburn threw in a couple junk defense zones, you know, and obviously Florida didn't score the last 10 minutes of that game. Uh, so it's kind of been a consistent issue for Florida. Now that we're talking about like, you know, in these comebacks, at least, uh, to some extent. And I think, you know, yeah, I mean, you're, are you concerned about that? Sure. Um, I, again, like we can get into Georgia a little bit and, and maybe this is as good a time as any. Um, I mean, I think they're probably going to play some of it. Now that said, you know, their synergy rating on in zone is poor defensively. They give up 1.2, 1.16 points per possession um, in zone. So that's, they're not playing it very well, um, but you know, Florida, obviously, Mike has one. We saw Florida steal an NCAA tournament game against a Nevada team full of pros with uh, 24 possessions a zone. Um, so, like, Synergy is awesome because you can just pull all these numbers up. Um, <laughs> so, like, they have – he has one in the arsenal. Now, of course, that Florida team and the personnel were, were uh, a bit better than what Georgia is, it would try to deploy a 1-3-1 with. But I think Florida will see some – this weekend, Eric. And, and yeah, I mean, it's a cause for concern. Um, and I would say like, it seems like Florida's half court offense and Florida's ability to execute against these junk zones is a bigger concern than like this, take the air out of the ball. And I understand, like, I'm trying to be empathetic. I understand the trauma of Florida fans as it relates to like taking the air out of the ball and like dribbling down the shot clock and then setting one ball screen and attacking. Um, but that's not really what this is. Like, this is just not Florida's half court offense hasn't been great. And then Florida hasn't handled zone defense as well. I don't think Florida has really necessarily tried to take the air out of the ball in a lot of these. No, I would not say they have tried to take the air out of the ball. That is for sure. Um, and again, it was, to be honest, it was like one of those things, like when you think about the droughts that 
um, the Gators went on in some of those later Mike White years, it was just like, like it, it felt like the Gators hadn't scored in eight minutes. And then you look and the drought is like four minutes, but you're like, this felt like an eternity. Like I, 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 I didn't even realize the Gators went that long against Auburn. You know what I mean? Like without, without a field goal, like, yeah, I, I, I mean, like, uh, and again, you were certainly like aware of the lead evaporating against LSU, but it wasn't like, Oh my goodness, the Gators can like, it wasn't. It wasn't like it was going. It, it didn't look um, like the Gators were 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 just like dribbling out the clock. I don't know their average possession length during the second half, but I don't even think it was necessarily like that that slow. So, um, yeah, that has never never crossed my mind of a take the air to the ball um, situation. Again, it was just like, no. oh, this is like becoming way too easy to guard as they're flashing these guys to the high post and then they're respacing, and that was the easiest thing for LSU uh, defense to guard um, in that particular alignment. So that that's kind of just what I thought. Um, and uh, yeah, I almost thought, again, I thought some of Florida's guards could have been more aggressive. Like you play again, talking about like different things you can run against these zones. I mean, if it's going to be these kind of junk zones and you are going to going to try to space it out a little bit, eventually you just need to kind of like get dominoes to fall by like one guard, just, getting a half step and attacking a closeout and forcing a little bit of a rotation and kicking it out to another guy who can get a, a little bit of an advantage on, on a closeout. Like, and, and I just felt like that wasn't happening and, and, and guys felt like they had to try to like get through the progressions of whatever they were running. And, and I almost would have liked a little bit more like freelancing from Florida's um, best players. And, um, and then I, I will say even the, the, the last thing I will say, and again, this this will be my last kicking dirt on Florida's performance. Like, I think like at one point, or I forget how many, but I think like nearly half of Florida's points against the zone came on offensive rebounds, which yeah, which also is like you you, you could say that it even like the zone was even worse than it did, or like the zone offense was even more poor than it looked because they were able to to bail it out a little bit with putting seven footers on the floor, which again is like. That's also like Florida, like it's still, you know, those points count. Um, the, the Gators still made a decision to put out size like that in order to get those. So they deserve, you know, production's production to some extent. But uh, um, you'd also like to see something executed that ended in a wide open shot or, or a layup. So um, you can even you can even say those the, the numbers are worse than they actually or that things were actually worse than the numbers would, would suggest. <laughs> you could make that argument. Um, but, yeah, I think that is all I have to say about yeah. uh, about the uh, the zone. Florida had 13 rebounds in the second half. Mm. Offensive rebounds. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, I think that supports your point. So, Florida's double-digit leads this year. Um, A&M, 13 in the second half. Uh, Kentucky at home, 11 in the first half. Uh, Georgia, 21 in the second half. And obviously, they won that game in overtime, but they were up by 21. Miss State, 21 in the second half. They, they won by... Uh, more than five, but it got cut to five, as you'll recall, with two minutes to play. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, East Carolina, Florida won by five because of a couple free throws. Um, but it was really a one-position game. Florida led by 13 at one point. And then Auburn, Florida won by 16. Um, they led by 29. So they didn't really blow that lead, obviously. They, they maintained it, but again, like, that game could have been a 20, 30 point victory. And because Florida didn't score the last 10 minutes, it ends up being, or a field goal the last 10 minutes, uh, it ends up being 16. So the Gators have, have proven, you know, and it is glass half full, I think, half 
if glass half full, like Florida can build huge leads against really good teams, right? Um, or average teams. Um, and then the glass half empty is this obvious result where Florida has has ended up playing a ton of close games anyway. And uh, they've dropped at least a couple of those games where they had uh, substantial leads. So I think it's something that, that Florida obviously has got to figure out. And, you know, um, whether it's execution, I, I think Eric and I have for six years tried to talk about execution more than like, oh, mentality. Oh, they took their foot off the gas. Like, I don't really know what that means, but I do know what I'm watching. Um, and so I think, you know, kind of discussing execution about it is a little easier. One other thing, and I know you wanted to be done, um, but what do you think of maybe we had one listener question about going smaller um, in these situations and sort of abandoning the two bigs. Now, I guess the one risk I see obvious to that is, hey, Florida had 13 offensive rebounds against the zone with their two big lineups. But maybe with four, you get more of what you're talking about, which is, you know, players who can stress defenses and force rotations. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just think a general thing people will will know that have listened to the podcast for for the years we've done it. Or and hey, maybe there's some new people because I saw you tweeting out that we were getting a lot of listens in these recent shows. So if you're new to the show, um, welcome, good to have you. Um, but something I've, I've always kind of said is like I think that people should care a little bit less about traditional fit and think a little bit more about getting your five best players on the floor and. Um, like, you know, to an extent, you don't want five guys that are six feet tall on the, on the floor. I, I get that, but like, yeah, putting Will Richard at, at the four and, and having Riley Kugel and, and Walter Clayton and Zion Pullen, it's like, um, you know, I, I bet that would be a little bit more equipped relative to what Florida was doing against the zone, which again, I didn't think was great, but if you've got a guy flashing to the high post and then the perimeter and it's Alex Conan, who I think is a tremendous player, that's just not the best way to utilize him. Um, and, uh, uh, I just like imagining, like looking at some of these these kind of dead possessions where where Florida didn't get much done against the zone. There's like times that the the the, the ball was swung and it ended up and again Tyre Samuel's hands on the perimeter, who's an excellent player, fantastic player. That not the best situation for him um, to get the ball against a a loaded side of the floor in a matchup zone um, on the perimeter, like having to mix something up against it. So um, yeah, there's a, like I'm I don't I don't I don't think it would have like going small would that have stopped LSU's run and, and gotten a bunch of buckets and coasted the Gators out into the, the the sunset with a dominant win. Like, no, I don't think so, but I think it would have been a little bit better. And of course it's kind of like, it that that's one of the things that's like, we could say pretty much anything. And like, you could say like, well, it would probably like whatever we say, Florida could have done it and be like, Oh, and there would have been a better outcome than blowing a 20 point lead. Like, so it's kind of like disingenuous you could say whatever you want. And there, the Florida could have done literally anything else and the outcome could have been better. Um, but um, yeah, there's times that I think that, that Florida, uh, could go to a smaller lineup, though. Um, yeah, the, the the roster construction is such that there's there's not a lot of wings um, to to make it look particular. Like like Florida has kind of backed themselves in with the way they built the roster to like needing to have two bigs on, on the floor. Um, maybe like as a little bit of a um, I don't know compromise. Like like Thomas Hauk out there um, brings a little bit more like comfort with one or two dribbles attacking closeout. While of course. Um, well, not of course. I would say, I don't know, it's probably the, the front court player I trust most to, to make a catch and shoot three. So I like maybe could have gone for for a little bit a little bit more of, of, of him. But um, yeah, I but I would just say as a general rule, while Florida's 
identity is clearly um, two guards that cook and then put two offensive rebounders on the floor. And they've had success with that. Um, there's still, there's definitely a lot of times where um, things are getting a little bit stuck offensively and defensively because the Gators um, are putting some tough defensive situations um, on the perimeter where there's, there's, there's a lot of times I watch the Gators and I'm like, yeah, I think I could go for, for like Will Richard at the four um, for a yeah, little bit more, right. a little bit more versatility. Um, I don't think it's like, something that the Gators should do 40 minutes of, and, and they just don't really have any opportunities. Cause like I would say Florida's only small ball, like lineup is to put Will Richard at the four. Like there's really no other, there's no other wings. There's no other threes that you could put at the four. Um, so it's just, then the, then the question is like, well, do you want like Denzel Aberdeen or Riley Kugel um, out there with, with, you know, the guards that, 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 you know, kind of lead the way. So uh, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, you, you, you won't hear me pushing, pushing back against, uh, against the Gators going small ball for sure. So I guess we can finally move on from zone and move on to an interesting topic, I think, as Todd Golden referenced the recurring theme of Florida building big leads and then sort of made the the comment that I made, like, hey, I guess on the bright on the bright side, I get to coach through a win and we built these really big leads. Um, and I think that's good. Um, but I also think qualifying sort of the effect of coaching is hard, right? Like it's it's a lot harder than win loss records. Like I thought. Todd Golden got out coached the other night by Matt McMahon. And, you know, Florida won because Zion Pullen and Walter Clayton are really good. Like if you wanted a two sentence summary of, of that game, um, you know, and so I think one thing that, that is at least seen by people is what like people notice adjustments. And I think Florida has gotten better at halftime adjustments as the season gone on, or at least the data says that they have because Florida's played better to start second half um, the last few weeks. And it's mattered a lot. Um, certainly it mattered against Kentucky at Rupp. It mattered. It almost mattered against Texas A&M. <laughs> Florida stretched their lead to 13 out of the locker room. Um, and it mattered. Uh, against LSU as Florida stretched its lead as well and, and needed every single one of those baskets. But timeouts, um, and I feel like I'm really asking a guy with a PhD in this analysis, um, are a big question. And, you know, for the second time as Florida saw a lead evaporate because this happened in the A&M game too, there wasn't a Todd Golden timeout. Um so what are your do you have any preliminary thoughts on this sort of decision by Todd not to take timeouts <clears> as these leads are whittling away? And and certainly I think for me, the most objective way to criticize it is LSU had switched to some junk defenses and it just seems silly to allow Florida to struggle on possessions against those um when until there was a media timeout. And I pointed out on Twitter at least one particular example where LSU had just gotten it under 10. Um, and no, this – sorry, I'm sorry. Florida had stretched it back out to three after it was it was tied and had a possession to go up five. And Condon had the ball. LSU hedged. Condon got stuck after Hawk, Hawk passed it to him. And there were still 13 seconds on the shot clock when Condon was stuck. I would have called a timeout there if I were the head coach of the Florida Gators. Um, I would have called a timeout and I would have drawn up a play. Uh, Todd Golden did not do that. Eventually, Condon got the ball to Poland, who actually couldn't get a shot off and there was a shot clock violation. Um, that was like the one objective play that I noticed where I would have used a timeout. 
whether or not you think you should use timeouts to manage runs or not is another discussion, but we can talk about it here. Long-winded way of asking you about Todd Golden's timeout usage, but apologies to everyone. I'll let Eric talk. Yeah, everyone at every level of basketball should use their timeouts quicker than they do. Um, the the college basketball, and, and I mean, you see this at other levels as well, but particularly college basketball, all these guys yep. that are trying to nurse two timeouts for the last 60 seconds of the game, um, the, there's just overwhelming data against why you why that's that's not the best outcome. Um, like long story short is you're not giving yourself that much more value by like, like the difference between um, you, so so the Gators are playing LSU or whatever in this this hypothetical situation. Um, LSU scores a basket um, in the game. Um, do you call a timeout to drop a player? Do you just play it out? If you call a timeout in those situations, there's just overwhelming data that says that you, the the value added in that situation is 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 nearly nothing. It's and there's you know there's a lot of sample out there about late game timeouts that show that like the difference between calling a timeout or not, you're you're, you're hardly getting any more value. Um, ha- however, there is overwhelming data that timeouts do stop runs. Um, so uh, that is why when teams are giving up big runs i am always an advocate of of using your timeouts to stop runs because um there's a better chance that you save yourself two to five points of value by stopping a run than um saving it for the end of the game where you might get like by the numbers 0.01 percent added value or points per possession added value. like essentially not so um absolutely and i there has not been much research done on what you just mentioned which i think but i think logic would kind of push you that direction like using a timeout to save like like again a guy jumps on a, a loose ball and it's about to get tied up or a guy's a going late out game of possession right like yeah like or or really anytime even in the game I yeah would, i would argue, i would argue if a guy's um chasing down a loose ball and you're going to lose possession because he's going to fall out of bounds or there's going to be a jump ball and the arrow is going the other way or even if the arrow is going your way and you lose the arrow um still you're probably getting somewhere between 0.8 and one points per possession of value there and you're just not getting that at the end of late games so um i like pretty much universally anytime anyone asks me about timeout usage and and in pretty much any situation where people are like oh do you think they should have used a timeout earlier like seriously like almost all the time um yes the answer is yes they should have used timeouts earlier it's like it's like the it's like all these conversations at the end of games where it's like oh i don't know do you think they need a three here in 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 the last minute of a close game and like by the math, um, the, the answer is almost always yes. You do need a three. Um, whenever there's like any like conversation, like I don't know, it's close. It's like no, you probably need a three. Um, yeah, it's like that with timeouts. So um, yeah, I would have if I, I I would have used all. There's there's no way if I was in that situation, I'm giving up a 20 point lead without burning every single timeout in my pocket. I'll tell you that much. I know that that's very different than the average coach, um, but uh, because you asked. Um, I will, I will say that, um, yeah, that definitely. And the play that you, you used as an example. Um, yeah, that's absolutely a situation where, where time would have been used. And I also did like, um, Matt McMahon, um, you know, being a, not even that veteran of a coach, but sure. Veteran coach. Um, he, he, uh, got a guy fouled out and he was like, boom, timeout. And he used it. He used every second. Cause he knew exactly. So like, there's just too many like situations at the end of games, whether it's a foul out, whether it's a review, whether it's a, a, a blood on a jer- like Jersey, there's just so many opportunities to steal timeouts at the end of the game and, and do what you, 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 you need to. And, uh, yeah, it just kills me to watch coaches at, at all levels of basketball, hold on to timeouts and, and, and guys losing, you know, losing close games where they gave up an eight, eight Oh run 
with five minutes left and they finish the game with one or two timeouts in their pocket just because, oh, well, maybe maybe it's going to get there. Or not even losing close games. Guys that lose games by seven or eight points with two timeouts in their pocket. And they were like, well, I was saving it just in case we made it close and I could call some late game timeouts. And it's like, well, you could have used those timeouts that you didn't lose by eight and that it was a close game. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, abs- abs- absolutely. I would have used the timeout in the situation you were talking about. No question. Yeah, it was interesting that and and I thought Florida could have used one defensively, too, which is Golden's kind of MO, like his teams have, you know, he's still a young head coach. He doesn't have a lot of teams to evaluate, but they have tended to defend pretty well. But I mean, Tyree Samuel was getting cooked in the second half, man. Like he was he got tired, I think, from chasing Will Baker around and he was getting back cut. He was getting his hips turned on on help. Um, you know, Florida was it was a tough one for Tyrese. Um, and I thought, you know, maybe get Condon back on the floor because uh, he was just defending at a much higher level and he's a better rim protector. If LSU's going to have straight line drives, I want a rim protector on the floor. Like there's various things that I thought Florida could have done to adjust to kind of stop that bleeding. But I'm a big believer, as, as Eric just mentioned, I am a big believer in like, especially late in games. And maybe I'm being you know, head coachy or myopic and thinking like you should only do this late in games. Right. But like in close games, I want to save possessions. And I've seen two games recently where I thought coaches and it paid off for coaches. So maybe that makes me biased, but I started thinking about the one I saw the other night, which was in a, just a random bulls Cavaliers game late. And there's about 14 seconds on the shot clock and, you know, his star player, um, Donovan Mitchell gets kind of stuck and JB Bickerstaff is just like, you know what? Like just time out. He's doubled in the corner. No, we're not going to play through this. And they call a timeout. It's a one point bulls lead at that point. And then they run an action for Darius Garland, like right out of the timeout that gets a layup and a three point play. And I was just like, you know, this is why you use the timeouts late in the game. Like you don't care. I don't, I'm not worried about advancing the ball up the court. Like, I want to score on this possession. This is an important possession. Uh, and then the UNC Duke game that I went to, um, you know, I don't think Hubert is a great adjuster. I don't think he is somebody who makes a ton of adjustments, but I do think he's a better in-game coach than he's given credit for. Same deal. Like, Elliot Cadeau gets kind of stuck in a corner. Um, Duke traps. They call a timeout with 16 seconds left. They come back in. They post up Baycott. Cadeau sets a down screen, and Baycott finds R.J. Davis uh, on the perimeter because Cadeau's screening defenders. They hit a three. The eight-point lead goes back to 11, and it was really just lights out from there, right? And, like, that's off a timeout um, It's because they they used the timeout and they ran an action. Like, I just think – and, you know, to, to the point here, Eric, like Florida – the one time Todd did call a timeout to like get a play set up, like Florida ran a really nice play with little Kansas cut. And I don't know what in the world Riley Kugel was doing. Like he kind of threw up a layup without looking at the basket and Florida was fortunate, got an offensive rebound, put it back in. But like, hopefully these are like things that golden notices watching film. Cause that would be, I thought a pretty viable criticism of, of Florida staff the other night. Yeah, and I'll just like say one more from an opponent's standpoint. Like when when Florida played Auburn, like the game was over in like five minutes, or maybe not, but like ten minutes. And like Florida's guards are just going crazy, and like 
you're just going to sit there and like watch that as the opposing coach. Like that, that's, that's even just like crazy to me from Bruce. Pearl. Well, I, and everyone does that. Yeah. So I shouldn't say sure. Bruce Pearl, but like, like Florida won that game in the first 10 minutes while their guards were going insane. And like the fact that you wouldn't use a timeout to just like take some of that energy out. Like, it's just, it's just crazy to me, these old school coaches, man. And I would expect a little bit different from, from Todd Golden, to be honest with you, because these are the things where I kind of would expect a little bit less, cliche coaching maneuvers to do but um yeah it's uh it's it's clearly what he's what he's what he's comfortable with i don't think it's like necessary it's it, it's one of those things that like 99 of coaches in the country would do exactly what what todd golden did so um i i can't really like i can't totally you, you can't really fault a guy i i guess for doing something that 99 of other coaches in the league would do but i just i i i'm looking for someone who who, who talks about being um, analytically based and data driven and modern and progressive um, to um, to not give up the 20 point run in that, in that fashion and use his timeouts in a way that uh, an 80 year old coach wouldn't. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I'll be interested to see how that, how that maybe um, changes moving forward. And, and again, Hey, maybe there's games like this where um, he thinks to himself, Oh, maybe I could have done things differently and um, we'll see. But um, this is an opportunity for golden who is very data driven and progressive in, in, in a number of ways to, um, to do something a little bit different than the, the, than other coaches would do. And, and in my opinion, get a, uh, get an advantage. Um, you also mentioned that right. Google, like, I, I, I feel, I, I feel bad, but just ever, ever, what since that I, ever since I pointed out early in the season where that, that how poor of a finisher he is at the rim, it just seems like every game he outdoes himself with the miss at the rim. I also even thought arguably more damaging Lee, um, he like there was times in this game where he had drives where I think he could have tried to score and he passed up he passed yes. up to try to swing it out and and I wonder I mean he hasn't been shooting you mentioned earlier he missed free throws I don't know if that's weighing into his mind um, but um, it's 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 almost like it's it's almost comical and I feel bad and I know I have done this on some uh, on some of our Patreon film studies where there's yeah. times where watching it live I'm like there is no possible way he is making this layup and then he smokes it. I have to say watching that live, he had the wide open layup goes to reverse it. I'm, I'm watching. And I'm like, there's, there's no possible way he's making this layup. And it was not even close. And it's, not it's, close. it's just, it's uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. And I know that Malik was having some discussion with people about like what, what it's going to take to, um, to, to improve that guys talking about whether it's a mindset thing, whether it's a skill thing, um, what it is, it's probably, a, I, I think to start the season, it was definitely a skill thing. Um, I didn't like a lot of the mechanics of the way he tried to finish. I think he has a lot to grow there. Um, I, think that, I, problem, I think, I think, I think now it's a mental thing um, because again, you're just seeing the way that he um, is, is passing up um, yeah. attempts to, to score at the rim. Um, and, and even just to see him miss a shot, as as badly as he's starting to miss shots at the rim, um, I do think that it's kind of like I'd, I'd have to imagine the the mental part um, is there as well. So um, he yeah. could be an effective player without scoring at the rim, which is you know crazy to say about a explosive six five athlete. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's also times where like like that is again the Riley Kugel experience is like he might bang a bunch of step back threes and get twenty points. Um, he might have bad games where he he's hurting you a little bit with some of his decision making and and just smoking shots at the rim, but uh, it's just, 
Yeah, like I, I, I yeah, it's and, and now just everyone is like tweeting at me or messaging me every time he misses layup. It's just like about how I called it. Now I feel feel really bad, but the numbers are just like the numbers are just absolutely fascinating. Like it's it's totally. like, again, it's like performance art to, to see it. Just it's it's unbelievable that um, that they can be what they are. But uh, luckily, I think Tyree Samuel is um, maybe being a little bit aware of of the the, the Riley Kugel experience. He was uh, is he was on it. Like a lot of players that that see a player get a wide open layup attempt at the rim are yeah. trying to match up or, or get back on defense. But Tyree Samuel was like, no, I think this ball is going to be, uh, going to be free. So um, you got it. You got to respect uh, Tyree Samuel getting after it there. And Hey, this is like um, what just my last thing is like, no, this is a number of plays where like Tyree Samuel has saved the Gators with an offensive rebound. Um, yeah. We, when we had him on the podcast um, around Christmas, that was coming off the heels of two separate games where he had massive offensive rebounds um, that turned into like a Zion pulling three to, to uh, or a big Walter Clayton shot. So like, this is like the third game where, where Tyree Samuel has like saved the Gators with an offensive rebound. So um, I know that Tyree Samuel's numbers have not looked as, as, as stellar necessarily as they once did. Um, he's still like quietly putting up really good numbers while not being like. A yeah. I cooked him a little Gators. and he had a good game. But, I mean, just... but, yeah, I gotcha. But, but uh, it is, it is like, Hey, in those final minutes, it's like, he's not like, Oh, I wish I had the ball, whatever. He's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to make something happen. And I'm on the offensive glass. And uh, as has been the case in several games, Tyree Samuel. Um, yeah. Save it, saving the day with the offensive rebound. Yeah, no, I mean, and he is doing that. I, I did cook his defense a little earlier. So mm. um, Eric is right to counterbalance that. I get a lot of messages about the free throws because Florida went 12 to 20 right. in this game. And, you know, that, so like, I think Tyrese kind of is who he is at the line. Um, and Eric has already pointed out that it is kind of efficient if he's 60% anyway. Um, but with Kugel, it's a technique thing. Like his free throws just never look the same. Mm. Like that's just, and that's now that I've, you know, I, I, you know, I, I've told people I joke around about having U8s, which I do, and it's hilarious and fun. But I, you know, with with U14s and U16s that I've worked with the last couple of years as well, like that's a big thing I do teach is like your free throw needs to look the same. Like if you watch Zion Poland or Walter Clayton, like it is the same stroke um, constantly. And Riley is like, I just don't think he has figured out how he wants to shoot free throws yet. <laughs> Um, you know, that's the only way to explain going five of five and not hitting the rim in the prior game. And then like a couple, you know, toilet bowls, as we used to call them, <laughs> um, toilet bowl misses and an in and out. I mean, he's, it's just, his technique is, is not, um, the same. So maybe we'll get him the good version of him, uh, Saturday at Georgia. I got a lot of pushback. You know, look, I think Gator Nation loves the fact that Mike White is on a five-game losing streak, and they're taking a lot of joy in that. And um, the problem for Georgia has been that they've had trouble scoring. Weird, a Mike White team trying struggling to score in the middle of league play, Eric. Um, you know, who could have ever seen that coming? But they're still much better than they were a year ago, and they're 10-3 and three at home. And SEC teams are 6-1 uh, and one coming off a bye. Like in my mind, this is a very difficult ask for Florida. Yeah, I think my general Georgia take, um, and again, like not trying to take, you know, make any jokes at the expense of Mike White or um, anything like that. Right, I, I just, know, you know, I, I, yeah, I know, but it's like, yeah, I, nice guy, some, some good dudes on his staff that, that went over from Florida. But totally. Like, but like, it is like, just the, the fact of the matter is like, good God, the offense is just so hard to watch. 
And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that like, this is unfortunately now a, um, a, a multi-year thing that of course goes back to Florida where, where their, their offense is just so non-threatening and, and, and so uh, they just, they, they, they just move the ball so much with no, no attack, nothing going towards the rim, no threatening cutter. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's a slog. And, and um, it's, it's also one of those things where you, you look at a number of their games, like they had a pretty solid first, first half lead on a, on a very good Alabama team and just, went ice cold and they do have some guys who can get hot from three, um, which gives them some like mini run potential. We of course saw that against the Gators um, where some guys heated up, but um, yeah, that is, that is the story. I, I, the, the one thing I will give um, definitely credit to with, with Mike White and, and his staff um, is the fact that I think that this is like just so much of a more self-aware roster build, because again, at, at Florida, it was like, well, let's get these undersized unathletic guards and now let's try to, but we're not very good offensively. So we need to grind out games defensively, but we have no athleticism or length or physicality. Whereas at least you can say with this Georgia team, like there's not a lot of guys that I think are like not max, like at Florida, there was like, these are, there was offensive talent that was not getting utilized or certainly not maximized. You look at this Georgia team and it's just like, Hey, they don't really have many players with any offensive juice. Um, so it's not like, wow, they're really not getting everything out of Blue Kane. I mean, we'll see what Blue Kane becomes. That was just the first player that came to mind. But it's like they they built a team of defensive grinders. So I can respect that at least they they said, okay, we're probably like no offense is going to be an issue. Always has been. Um, but let's at least get dudes that, that can defend. So um, it makes for a bit of a difficult watch at times with like where, where, where every single game is a rock fight, except for when they played Kentucky, when they played Florida and actually when they played Tennessee, where they actually had some good offensive outputs. But, uh, but yeah, in, in recent games, it's just, they, they, they get up to like 20 to 10 leads in the first half and you're like, Oh, maybe they got something. Then they just go ice cold and they really battle yep. defensively. And they have some really good defensive wings um, that, uh, that can keep them in the game um, defensively. But um yeah, the offense is just such a slog, and which makes it just that much more um, baffling, I guess, that they were able to uh, to be in a shootout with Florida. Of course, one that Florida uh, ultimately won, but it just seems um, it seems it seems crazy just to, to the, the fact that they did muster ninety eight points, even you know it was overtime, but still they had ninety six against Kentucky in, in in regulation. You just wonder how they did that a couple weeks ago because um, yeah, it's been rough. They just lost to Arkansas. Arkansas is losing to everyone. Um, so it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's not, not all good in, 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 uh, in Georgia right now, but uh, they, sure. they do have, they do have a bit of an identity. And, and I do think RJ Melendez and, and Jabri Abdurrahim can, can defend. And um, yeah, they, they, with a week to prepare. Yeah. I do wonder if they, they, they put, they, they commit a little bit more to the zone or, or what it is. Maybe they can find a couple sets that they can generate some offense. But um, yeah, I do think, like you mentioned, it could be um, scary for the Gators. Um, and with the, the, the threat of a bad loss uh, looming over Florida's heads too. Um, I think that does make things get uh, a little tighter. If, if Georgia does start the game with a little bit of a lead, like they've shown they can do um, it's just, they fizzled out of so many games. Yeah, I mean, so two things. Culturally, you know, is Florida ready for a game like this where it's the other team's Alamo? Um, I don't know if Florida is. Like, I think it's great. Gators are 10 games over 500 for the first time since the second year of the Mike White era. Um, 
which is kind of a staggering thought. 10 games over 500 in February, rather. Um, you know, Florida is by no means the hunted in the SEC. The fact that they actually, if they win this game, have a, have a you know, decent control your own destiny, not quite control your own destiny, but pretty darn close to like winning the SEC title. If they win this game, yeah, that was uh, that was crazy when you when you tweeted that. By the way, and it's, like that was it's, one of those like I had like a, I I thought you had like a um yeah like I thought I misinterpreted what you were saying, and then I was like oh so I thought that was a uh, yeah I mean that it's, is wild. I think you should just say that again for people who didn't see that to just fully process what you just said. Yeah, so like so Florida is if Flor- Florida needs everything is rides on Saturday for the Gators. Now they're again. I, I really think this is George's Alamo on what was a prom, their prom, most promising start in 21 years. They're now 14 and 10. You know, they're not going to be considered for the NCAA tournament, barring something bizarre happening in the last seven games. Um, and they've had a week off to prepare and they've lost eight straight to what they consider their most bitter rival in every sport. Whereas in Florida, it kind of varies depending on what sport you're playing. So if Florida wins this game, they go to eight and four in the league, and then they don't totally control their own destiny to win the SEC title. But if they went two and one against Alabama and South Carolina in those three games, the co-leaders of the league right now, they would have a tiebreaker with Auburn. They would lose the tiebreaker to Tennessee, but so that would matter for seeding. But essentially, Florida could hold serve at home, beat Vanderbilt on the road and finish 13 and five in the league and win the sec. Like there is a very real possibility that that happens if Florida wins Saturday. Now they would need help from Tennessee and they would need one game of help from Alabama and South Carolina as well. So they don't quite control their own destiny, but they can make a real big run at it. And it's really the first time since the Kerry Blackshear year where Florida's had a chance to win the sec in February. Um, And I think really the first time since Chioza's senior year where it felt like that was a legitimate chance and not just like a puncher's chance. Um, like it's, it's distinctly possible. So is Florida culturally ready to win a game like Saturday against a team that is by no means bad, but really does struggle to score for to Eric's point. They were 65th in Ken Palm offensive efficiency after the Florida game, they've fallen to like 99th uh, the last time I looked in that metric that's not and that is you know now they have played two really good defenses in that stretch but they've also played alabama who guards no one on earth no one alabama would give up 70 playing five on air now they'd score 180 but you know they don't guard at all um especially their front court i mean grant nelson is the worst sec starting defender in a front court player in the league um, you know, but, uh, man, you know, it's not like they, you know, it's not like Georgia's played a ton of great defenses. They played two in Miss state and South Carolina, Arkansas can't guard Alabama can't guard Florida doesn't guard great. Um, and so, you know, uh, they put up 98 against Florida, but after that they've catapult, they've dropped almost 35 spots in offensive efficiency. That's just a cavernous leap. Um, and, you know, Eric mentioned they do have an identity and it's an identity that's given Florida problems, really, really good wings who can kind of heat up. Um, and then they unfortunately, they kind of have the Mike White identity where no lead is safe as well. Like 
here, you know, we were just talking about it with Florida, but I wrote down Georgia's. They had a 13-point lead against Wake Forest. They won by three. They had a nine-point lead against Miami, so not quite double digits. They lost by 11. These are all second-half leads, by the way, Eric. Um, they led Tennessee by um, 14, lost by six. They led uh, Alabama by 16, lost by nine. And they led South Carolina by 10 and lost by 10. So it's just, you know, they can go on these huge extended scoring droughts. And if you can score on them, you can claw back. What Florida, I think, needs to do is is play 40 minutes. Like, I think if Florida has one of their own extended scoring droughts, I don't think they'll get enough stops Saturday um, to win this game, even though Georgia has struggled on offense. Like, I expect Georgia to come out and play maybe one of their best games of the season. And that's why I talk about that cultural piece that we don't often talk as much about on this show. Like, I just think this is kind of that sort of test for Florida. Like, hey, you want to go and do big things, like have a chance to win an SEC title? Like, you better figure out a way to win in what's going to be a lit environment. It's a sellout. Um, it's their Founders Day weekend, which is like where they celebrate being the second oldest public school in the country or whatever. Um, some weird stuff, uh, but whatever, you know, so those are kind of the points that I wanted to make about this game. I still think you, even given the opportunity to, um, reiterate it, um, are, are not putting enough emphasis on the fact that there's still a possibility that the Gators could win the SEC. Like maybe it's because you're the, uh, you know, you, you've been a Florida fan, you know, longer than me. So you like, are, are used to the Gators being in the hunt for SEC championships. Sure. I just think it is insane that Florida still has a chance. Um, I, I will say, so again, Especially I was just, how like, good I was, the league is. Yeah. Like I will say, uh, like, and again, we talked about this before the where, and, and I, Oh, I forget, I forget the guy's name who, who writes about the SEC that, that pointed out that Florida does have, or did have what projected to be the weakest. Ben, Brandon. ben Brandon. I just wanted to make sure. Cause I thought that that was really good work that he did. Um, I do think that that has like bore out, you know, Florida has had a very favorable SEC schedule in the unbalanced SEC. So hold um, on one thing about that. Now they have, but they're also the only team in the SEC that has to play two teams coming off buys. So they lost to AM coming off their buy, and now they get Georgia mm -hmm. coming off their buy. And both Florida's games coming off buys have been on the road, which I think that's something that the SEC should should not have done to Florida. Now, I agree that the unbalance worked out, but I don't think it's particularly fair to make them play two teams coming up buys, be the only team to have to do that, and to have to play both those games on the road. Yeah, that's a good point. That's stuff that like teams send into the league offices, so maybe someone on Florida staff is going to hear that or has acknowledged that and will we'll point it out. So, um, yeah, that's so, you know, put that is good, good pushback. But, yeah, it is – and I still even remember – um, when we were talking about like how, how Florida's schedule broke favorably, we're like, well, the only thing that like would have made the schedule easier is if they got to play South Carolina twice and like to later find out that them only playing South Carolina once appears to be a, uh, uh, <laughs> another thing that uh, is, is pointing to why their schedule is. So, so again, like, I think that 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 plays into Florida's current schedule and their current situation, but it's like, Hey, like they've got, they've got two games with Alabama who they would be chasing and it's one of those things that's like, you know, the ball is going to speak truth here. 
Um, if if they can if they beat Alabama twice, then like hey, then even despite the easy schedule, then they probably deserve to be in the hunt for uh, to win the SEC. Um, if they get clobbered in both of those games, they won't win the SEC, and that will be you know what c- clearly that will kind of show what the the Gators um, will deserve. It did despite the unbalanced schedule. I look up and down the league, and I do think that the pieces will kind of fall where they um, deserve. To. Yes. So yes, the, the the ball will will not lie um, as 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 it is, as it is said. I don't think. Um, but yeah, in terms of Georgia, like here's another thing. Like bring it back to the timeout situation. Like Georgia is again pretty bad offensively. They go on horrible cold spells, but they do go on some pretty hot spells and have shown the ability to hit threes um, in a row and a bunch of threes in a row and, and get hot. And really, that's when they win games or stay competitive in games. Um, yeah, that's what that's happens. I mean. Like like RJ Melendez, it was again. It's still crazy. Of course, against the Gators, um, he has thirty five points. His previous career high was eighteen. In his last three games, he's had six, three, and two points. So, like, just to tell you, like, what kind of a, I mean, I guess I'll say luck, but what kind of just kind of an offensive explosion that that was for him. So, like, here's a situation where, like, to me, like, you know, you know, there's a big sample size. Georgia is is it does very poorly in second halves. They they almost always go ice cold um, offensively. Um, they almost always go on one or two runs where they hit a bunch of threes in a row. Like here's a situation where I'm like, like if Georgia starts to get any momentum, if they hit two threes in a row in the first half, I'm calling a timeout to try to stop it because you know that they will go cold. Like that is just like, and if you can expedite that process, um, even better. So. Um, yeah, just to tie back in the, the previous timeout conversation, I think Georgia's the perfect team to use your timeouts early against um, because they are so reliant on just hoping they have two or three runs where, where they can hit a bunch of threes in a row. Um, so I mentioned RJ Melendez, his explosion against the Gators is not something I think will be replicated. Um, nearly doubling his career high and having like six, three and two points in his last three games. Um, <laughs> hey, suppose it's possible, but uh, yeah, don't don't see see that happening. Um so yeah, I, I uh, it's 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 going to be the the situation of like I'm just looking forward, to, or I'm interested, I should say, to see what Georgia comes up with out of the bye week. Um, we'll see if it is that really um, a, a, as big of a disadvantage as, as we, we we think it could be. Yeah, man. I mean, I it, we'll see. Uh, I look. I just think I think it's going to be tough, um, but road games are tough. Winning is hard. And yeah, I mean, maybe I am understanding it a bit. Like, I think Florida, if I'm the Gators and I'm this staff, like, okay, it's their Alamo. Like, let's make it one of our Super Bowls because if we win this game, we were legitimately, this is what I'm telling my kids. It's like, you legitimately have a shot to win the SEC title. You might not, you don't completely control your own destiny, right? Because of Tennessee. But like, you figure you're going to lose to Alabama Wednesday. You're not telling your kids this, but you probably are. Um, but if you can beat Alabama at home and steal one in Columbia, you're probably going to finish 13 and five in the league, man. And at 13 and five, like I'll take my chances that that's good enough to share the league title. I really will. But they yeah, have to win yeah. Saturday. I was looking at after, so again, after I was floored by your tweet, um, I was looking at some of the modeling and uh, it looks like the Gators currently have a 4% chance at winning the SEC, which I will still say, like, that's not high. That's a lot higher than I thought it was. I'll say that much. It'll be a lot higher if they win Saturday. Yes. You know, I bet it goes up because this is a coin flip game on Kim Palm. It's a coin flip game on Torvik, you know, within five points. So, 
you know, because Georgia's 10 and three at home. And in all but one of the games that they lost at home, they've had huge leads. So we'll see. I'll let Eric uh, sign us off. Well, since you mentioned Bartorfik, we'll end on, on one last uh, one last thing because I did just notice it um, the other day. Not that I look at this um, a, a whole lot. I don't know why it caught my eye particularly, but uh, I think that uh, I don't have it open right now, But uh, and now it's slow to load. But um, Ken Palm has the Gators as the 29th best team in the country after uh, last night's game. Have you looked to see where, where T-Rank has the Gators? Not since the Auburn game when it was in the top 20. They're still, they still have the Gators as 18 and it is very Ooh. rare for, for T rank and Ken Palm to be that different on a team. So uh, I'm just uh, before I'll, I'll let you answer and then close it out. Are the Gators closer to the 29th best team in the country or closer to the 18th best team in the country? So I guess the over under would be, would be if this was Jake, it would be, you know, 24 or whatever the, the midway point is there. 23 and a half. Are the Gators better or worse than the the, the, the 23rd or 24th? At the risk the of regretting this at like 3.30 in the afternoon on Saturday, I will say that they're closer to the Torvik number. And I will mention the, instead of the tweet that caught Eric's eye and that wowed him, I'll mention the one that got the most national attention. Here are the teams in the country without a quad two through four L. Houston, UConn, Purdue, Dayton, San Diego State in the Final Four last year, and Florida. That's the list. Now, five of those teams are top 16 seeds. Yeah, I will. I, I, if, if Florida season continues as it currently is and they don't get any, like they just kind of like things fall as they, they should in the projected Ken Palm record and the Gators don't have bad losses and don't have a lot of big wins relative to the opportunities, I, Truly, I'm very interested to see what the uh, the committee does and, and numbers like that make it uh, make it even more interesting. But uh, yes, I will close it out. Should be a very interesting game um, with a lot of reaction from Florida fans, um, regarding re- regardless of what happens, win or loss. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.